kind of an old school song, isn't it? Uh, but with a simple message, you know, just you have to shift your vision. Take it off of the world and shift it to Jesus. And then looking at him, then he re reorients how you think about the world that you're in. We are, we have come to the end of a very long journey, my friend. Luke chapter 24. We're going to read the last four verses in that chapter. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you uh, underneath one of the chairs, page 885. And then once you find Luke chapter 24, turn right through the Gospel of John to the next book that actually Luke wrote, the book of Acts, and turn to Acts chapter 7, which is 916. So Luke 24 and Acts chapter 7. Let's stand together as we read God's word. <clears throat> beginning in Luke 24, verse 50. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Acts chapter 7 one of the early followers and speakers of the gospel was a man named Stephen, and the whole chapter is a very long sermon, and he doesn't have a very receptive crowd. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. <laughs> this week I learned that in 1866, the Swedish scientist named Alfred Nobel, founder of of the Nobel Peace Prize, that he was the one who invented dynamite. That seems a little strange, doesn't it? Founder of the Nobel Peace Prize is the inventor of dynamite, but he was a scientist. And 20 years earlier, a highly explosive chemical compound had been created or discovered. It's called nitroglycerin. And the problem was that 20 years earlier than dynamite, nitro is highly explosive, and they were having trouble using the nitroglycerin for explosive reasons without the person getting exploded themselves in the process. So they go and try to, to, to ignite it, and it, they just didn't have enough time to get away, so they would have troubles themselves. And so Alfred Nobel, a scientist, came along and packaged the explosive with a fuse and a small detonator, which allowed you, like a firecracker, to light it 
and then put it in a crack. Maybe you're trying to blow up the side of a mountain so you could make a passageway or whatever and give you time to move around some kind of safe barrier. So it was quite a, a helpful invention. And as I was thinking about that, this small detonator that Nobel came up with actually is a small explosive. So a detonator is sitting next to the highly explosive material, and when it explodes, then it causes this massive explosion. The detonator, small, but creates a much bigger explosion. Now, you probably don't want to talk to your friends today and say, well, one of the things I learned about in church was how to build an explosive, you know, piece of dynamite. But I want to try to make a transition here and say that what we read in these final four verses of Luke is like a detonation. It's a small thing, but it has this massive effect. The detonation, which triggers this much larger explosion is the ascension of Jesus Christ. He detonates something. And what the larger explosion is, is the power and the new work of the Holy Spirit now moving across all space and time in a very different way. And this massive explosion of the Holy Spirit into the world in a new way is, is still being felt even right now as I preach. So this small detonation 2,000 years ago, the ascension of Christ, sent this massive shockwave to today, you and I are feeling the effects of that small detonation. Typically, when you think about Jesus and you celebrate the events of Jesus' life, you'll celebrate his birth, you'll celebrate his death, you'll certainly celebrate his resurrection. But when you go to uh, the Hallmark card section you don't see the ascension cards right happy ascension day it just somehow has gotten lost in church history but yet this small little event created a massive explosion and that's the explosion that i want to talk about this morning the ascension the detonation that jesus created now i want to do a little background following the resurrection jesus was on earth for a period of 40 days and during the 40 days he accomplished many things here are a few of them. First, he appeared to his disciples multiple times to confirm that he was alive, body and flesh, bone and flesh. He, he's not some sort of spiritual ghost-like thing. He had a fish sandwich while he was here. And so he wants to make sure that he's just not some vision they had or some dream they had. He, he was as solid as he was before. He was different, but he was solid very important because even today you'll have some Christians, they say they're Christians, they'll say, well, he didn't actually really rise from the dead. It just seemed as it, he did, or they had a dream about it, or it was a spiritual resurrection. No, it was a bodily resurrection. So he had many proofs that he was alive. Second, he gave his disciples a crash course in Old Testament history. And Luke likes to emphasize this, and we talked about it last week on the, this road to Emmaus. Remember, these two disciples are on the road to Emmaus, and what turns them around is Jesus says this in verse 27 of uh, chapter 4, Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted for them, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, all the scriptures concerning himself. So these two guys who are, who are leaving the resurrection, they're leaving Jerusalem, they get turned around by hearing Jesus talk about himself from the Old Testament. Then in verse 44, 
just before his ascension. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's a lot of conversations in the Bible you'd like to be a part of. This would be one of them where Jesus himself says, here, I, I know you've heard these stories, but let me make the connections for you. And it just, it just exploded their minds to say, we should have been able to see this all along, and it's right here in front of us in the Word of God. And I want to emphasize this point because it's the first statement of our mission. As you walk in the sanctuary door, and there it is on the left-hand side, the very first thing, what does it say? Teaching the Bible. That's the... We're trying to do a lot of things here, but the first thing, the foundational thing is teaching the Bible. If you remember back in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man and the poor man die basically on the same day. And the rich man goes to hell and the poor man goes to heaven. And the rich man is so tormented in hell, he has this conversation with Father Abraham, this Old Testament patriarch, and he says this, I beg you, Abraham, send Lazarus, this poor man, to my house because I have five brothers. Warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. See, he feels this pressure to warn his brothers who are still alive. And they would have known who Lazarus is. So if Lazarus would come back from the dead and tell them, they would listen. Abraham replies to the rich man in hell, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Isn't that interesting? They have the Bible. Let's let them listen to the Bible. No, no, Father Abraham. I love how this guy's still giving instructions. No, no, that's not going to work. But if Lazarus, somebody from the dead, goes to them, they will listen to a dead man. They will repent. And Abraham's classic response, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the Bible, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You feel the power of that? The power of God's word? Even if you see someone rise to the dead, that's not as powerful as God's word. It, that's, this is the thing that changes people's lives. If you're a visitor here today, this is why we put such a high premium on God's Word. That's why we want you to open your Bible or bring your Bible or use the Bible that we have in, have in front of you because we want you to see this is the power. It's not me. It's not the pulpit. It's the power of God's Word being proclaimed. Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the, the spirit and the soul, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I can't judge your thoughts and attitudes and motives. But so many of you have said after a ser sermon, Paul, it's like you were speaking to me. And I would just say, that's, that's the power of God's word. That's the power of God's word. So after these 40 days, disciples, Jesus takes his disciples on one last field trip. A little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And while he's there, I love the last thing they see Jesus doing is blessing them. He's blessing them. And then he ascended into heaven, the same thing we say in the Apostles' Creed. 
He ascended into heaven. And there's plenty of questions about this ascension. And I just want to ask three and try to give some answer to three questions. First, where did Jesus go? Second, why did Jesus ascend? And third, what is Jesus doing right now? We'd ask these three questions. Well, where did he go? Why did he need to ascend? And what is Jesus doing right now? First, where did Jesus go? The first man to go to orbit, uh, to orbit the earth was a Russian cosmonaut. And his name was Yuri Gagarin. And it's reported that he got up into the atmosphere, and as he's circling the globe, he radios back down this statement, I don't see any God up here. It's just a little poke at Western Christianity. You know, I've, I've come up to the heavens, and I'm looking around, and I'm circling the whole globe. I just don't see a God up here. And it's not unusual even for us to think of Jesus' ascension because he's going up through the clouds that he somehow just went past whatever we think the universe is. He's way far away. He, he went past Pluto, and he, you know, he just kind of kept going until whatever way far away is heaven. That's a lot of times how we have this picture. Instead, I think it's more accurate to think, as one commentator put it, think of Jesus stepping through a fold in the curtain of space and time. You've been to a play, and at the end of the play, the actor or actresses come out, and they take a bow, and the curtain is behind them, and then at some point, they step back through the fold in the curtain. Now, they're still on stage, but you don't see them anymore. They're not very far away, but they're in like a different dimension. But they're very near to where you are. They're not somehow, they haven't transported to some far distance. And I think that's the better way to think about it, that Jesus has stepped through this curtain of space and time that's not very far away. That's why he's always saying, I will be with you. I will be near you. I will never leave or forsake you. I'm not, I'm not so far away that you have to go up into outer space to find me. I'm just right next to you, but just in a different dimension. Jesus' ascension changes the nature of his relationship to the world. He had a certain relationship to the world that we have. It's limited. I can only be right here, right now. I can't also be in Sacramento. I can't be in Europe. I can be right here. I can't be at the back of the door and right here. I, can't, I can only be in one place at one time. That's my relationship to the world. But when Jesus steps through the fold of space and time, then he has the capacity to be everywhere in the world at one time. It's amazing. And maybe there's some biblical help here from John chapter 20. Some of you will remember this story. The resurrection, Mary, one of these people that had followed Jesus, who had really an emotional connection to Jesus, she's sort of wandering around near this empty tomb by herself and of all things jesus shows up and remember what she thought he was a gardener that's that's a good picture of god is it not first thing he does is plant his people in a in a garden so she thought he was the gardener and you remember what turned her around one statement mary he said her name, Jesus. And she grabbed him like a professional wrestler. I mean, 
I am not going to let you go. I mean, I've been so distraught, and here you are. It's really you. I can't believe it. You said my name, and I'm grabbing hold of you. I'm not going to let go. And what does Jesus say? You got to let me go. You got to let me go. Don't hold on to me, for I've not yet returned to the Father. And you might think, well, it's kind of a strange response. Maybe it's a warning Jesus is saying to Mary. Mary, if you hold on to me in this new body, you're going to melt or something. I mean, I don't know what you might think about it. But that's not what is happening because he asked Thomas to touch him. So there's something different here. And what I would say is when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he's a different kind of being. Just like we are when we're going to have a resurrected body. It's solid, but yet it's different. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, this is, this is the last miracle that Jesus does. It's a great miracle, as you might imagine. He's been dead for four days, and he says, Lazarus, come out. Remember that? What's the bummer for Lazarus? He's got to die twice, right? I mean, it's hard enough to do it once. And wh- wherever he was, he was in some kind of paradise, and he gets called back. I mean, imagine that. But when Jesus comes out of the tomb, he's not going to ever have to go back in that tomb because he's fundamentally different. He's fundamentally changed his relationship to space and time. Now he can be with everyone, everywhere, without regard to time. So Jesus very kindly says to Mary, Mary, let me go. Let me ascend so that you'll never be without me again. So that nobody will ever be without me again, whether you live in Jerusalem or whether you live in Wilmington. Whether you're locked in a prison cell, you can be right next to Jesus. Or if you're going into an operating room, you can be right next to Jesus. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus isn't far away. Why did Jesus ascend? Again, there's lots of answers to these kinds of questions, but one of the primary reasons is to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. This was the detonating device. The Holy Spirit was in operation, but he he releases the Holy Spirit in a new way. John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, but I tell you the truth, it's good for you that I'm going away. Imagine hearing that. Unless I go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, won't be able to come to you. But if I go away, I'm going to send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and talk about righteousness and judgment. So Jesus' ascension triggers the, the, the coming out of the Holy Spirit in a powerfully new way. And he's going to be this constant counselor. So you're praying, Holy Spirit, help me. You're, you're inside of me like a spirit can be that a body can't be. And you can help me with this decision. You can help me know what's right and what's wrong. What's, what's righteous, what's not. Would you help me understand that? Would you help me now as a disciple to help other people understand that in a unique way? Would you help me teach the gospel? Luke wrote the book of Acts. And here's sort of the bookends of Acts. Acts chapter 5. Day after day. In the temple courts from house to house, the disciples never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. 
the Holy Spirit comes to inform you of the gospel and then gives you the power to proclaim the gospel. That's the very first thing the disciples do. The very last chapter of the books, Acts 28, the Apostle Paul, from morning till evening, Paul explained to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. They're just, the Holy Spirit is just doing the same thing that Jesus did. I want you to see me by reading God's word. It's the exact same thing we're doing right now in 2023. It's amazing. The detonation is continuing to have its effect. Again, a point of emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. When you work, work your way through the book of Acts, there's all kinds of ways the Holy Spirit works. The primary way is through the power and proclamation of the gospel. But it's important to realize that priority because so many times, especially in our day, the Holy Spirit gets attached to all kinds of spiritual goofiness. And, and you'll hear it. You have, you have to have heard it already. You can just turn on your television here at any time. But I want us to be careful about when we enter in and somebody says, well, that's the Holy Spirit. I, I just want you to say, are they talking about the Bible? Are they telling me about Jesus from the Bible? Then I, I'm not saying it couldn't possibly be, but let me just pause here and, and, and use some wisdom and use some discernment. And the reason I say that is I was looking on a, a website of a local ministry in town. And their website con connected me to a video and the video was titled, and I'm not making this up, The Holy Spirit Hokey Pokey. And in the video, people were being healed by putting your left foot in and taking your left foot out. That's goofy. That's not the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not the gauge of everything that the Holy Spirit could do, but he's not doing the hokey pokey. But otherwise, well-meaning, articulate, Bible-reading people, they assign these things to goofy things, like the Holy Spirit hokey-pokey. You think the disciples had any idea that the Holy Spirit was going to use the hokey-pokey one day? No. Why? Because they have the Word of God. You don't need the hokey-pokey. It's just embarrassing to say it, isn't it? You have the law and the prophets. You have the Psalms. You have the Word of God that's living and active. It, it divides the soul. The ho hokey pokey never divided the bone, bone and marrow as far as I know. I've done the ho ho hokey pokey many times. I never came away transformed by it. Let's be careful when we talk about the whole work of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. It is powerful. It transforms lives. It's transformed my life. Primarily through the proclamation and understanding of sin and righteousness and a coming judgment. And those things, that's the Holy Spirit's great at that. What's Jesus doing right now? Well, several, again, several things. John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. You know this? If it were not so, I would, have, I would have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So whatever that means, he's got some work to do. He's preparing a place for you, for me, for Paul Phillips. 
And, you know, you always joke about where your house is going to be, you know, in heaven. You're just saying, I just want to try to get inside the gate and, you know, I'll come visit you, Paul, because you're going to be way ahead of me. And I'm like, no, you're going to be way ahead of me. But whatever it is, there's some preparation that's hard for us to even imagine, but he's working on right now. Second Hebrews 9.24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. So the sanctuary was a little slice of heaven, you might say. And now he's entered the true temple, which is heaven, now to appear for us in God's presence. So what is he doing? He's appearing for us in God's presence. And everybody said, yes. Yes, I desperately need someone to appear for me in God's presence. That is the best news I can possibly give you. Why? John 1, 21, 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense. This is the good news. You have somebody who represents you. If you ever happen to have a lawsuit and you know you're going to court, what do you do before you get there? You try to find the best lawyer you possibly can. Why? Because they're going to represent you. They're going to talk to the court for you. They're going to talk to the jury for you. They're going to try to make their case for you. And you know who I have making my case for me? Jesus. And you can too. And he constantly needs to make a case, right? Oh, I know it wasn't a good day for Paul today, but I'm making a case for him. I died for him even though he did this today. I'm always, I'm continually making a case before God for Paul Phillips. I know I've said this before, but I have a Muslim friend, and when I was talking to him, I said, we both believe that there's a God. Yes, we both believe there's a judgment day. Yes, we both believe we're going to stand before this God who's going to judge one day. Yes, I have a representative, Jesus, and he's representing me before God. Who do you have? I'm going to represent myself. Mm. And I think he felt like, I wish I had some help. The good news that today, by hearing the power of the word of God, by receiving Jesus into your spirit, by saying, I'm going to follow you best I can, even when you fail, even I, I'm praying that you don't sin, but even when you do, you have a representative. You have somebody who's on your side before the Father. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7 and just get a closing picture of the way this can work, or it did work. Stephen is talking to a hostile crowd of Jewish people. It's a really large crowd. He's very articulate, very convincing. He knows all about the Old Testament. And you can read, and you should read today. Just go back and read chapter 7. It's a great sermon. And at the end of the sermon, you, there, you can get a sense that the hostility of the crowd is, go, is sort of growing. And they explode in, 50, in verse 54. When they heard the gospel, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. I mean, you ever been so angry you just grind your teeth? 
This is what they felt about Stephen. But Stephen, what was different about Stephen? Full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that when Jesus ascended, detonated into his life. And now he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he looks up into heaven and he actually sees Jesus representing him by standing at the right hand of God. What a great vision. I'm standing here. I'm just about ready to get stoned. But my vision, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I've shifted my vision now. Yes, it's hostile. It doesn't look good, but I'm not primarily looking at that. I'm looking at the ascended Jesus, and he's representing me. That's what it means. He's standing at the right hand of God. And when he said this, they cover their ears, they yell, they go at him. And when you stone somebody, you throw them off the edge of a cliff, and then you throw stones down on them. And while all this was happening, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, what would you do while all this was happening? He prayed. Lord, would you receive my spirit? I, I see you standing there. Can, can I come home now? And as he's leaving, he looks at all the people throwing these stones down on him. Would you forgive my enemies? That's power. That is power. The explosive power that was detonated at the ascension allows Stephen to preach the gospel. Allows Stephen to realize I'm being represented. And no matter the evil against me, I can ask for forgiveness. Because I'm going to go home and meet the one who has forgiven me. Seeing the ascension for Stephen reshaped his life, it gave him a power. <laughs> Oh, a power not to do the hokey pokey. A power to live in this world. To see evil and hatred and still stand there. And say, I, I know you might not think what I think. You may gnash your teeth at what I think about Jesus. But I'm going to just keep standing here and in the kindest, most winsome way, tell you about the Bible and if you love it and enjoy it, we'll become brothers and sisters and we'll walk together. And if you throw stones at me, I'll ask for your forgiveness. That's power. That is power. That power is available to you right now because of the detonation of the ascension of Christ. He stands at the right hand of God the Father and says, I'm representing you. 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 Live in the light of his ascension. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's hard for us to really understand these things. Just trying to understand how 
you came back in a bodily form, how you stepped through a fold in space and time, how you're, we, we can't see you, but you're near us. The Holy Spirit's in us. These are all things that, like you with the disciples, you need to open our minds to this reality. I pray for anyone here who's going through a particularly difficult time that they would know in a very real and tangible way that you are with them, that you are near to them. And especially for anyone facing an enemy, anyone in a situation where it's hard to forgive, would they allow the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through them in such a way that their heart would open up like your heart opened up to us to extend forgiveness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.